This is an AMI podcast. I'm Kelly McDonald. I'm Ramia Amadin, and this is Kelly and Ramia. One of the adjustments that we made to the program was making sure that in our longest segments of the show, we can go as long as we can with some of the topics because they just a lot of time burst out of those segments, quite frankly. And we as a team said, wow, we've we got to do something about this. There's just some subjects sometimes that we're always turning around saying, oh, well, sorry, we're out of time. So we've put a bunch of contributors and, and segments together and put them in this time slot. And then we let me introduce them. So I eat up all their time anyway. But anyway, I, di- I digress on that. And Rummy and I'd like to welcome in for Know Your Rights, Danielle McLaughlin. Let's examine questions that can't be answered by a simple yes or no. Join me, Danielle McLaughlin, when we talk about how freedoms collide on Know Your Rights. Ramya, Danielle, isn't that the truth of the matter? Kelly sits in here. We're so happy that we have all this extra time for you, Danielle. Then we talk a little too much off the top. Welcome back. (laughs) Well, it's always lovely hearing your voices, you guys. I got to tell you, but... Today, I'm extra happy because my good friend, Dr. Brenda McPhail, has some time to spend with us. Brenda is the directory, pardon me, is the director of the Privacy Technology and Surveillance Program for the Canadian Civil Liberties Association. And we've spoken with her a few times on, on Kelly and Company. It just keeps getting more important. Welcome back, Brenda. Hi, and thanks so much for having me again. Always such a pleasure. Now, you have been in the media quite a lot in the last uh, few weeks. Um, and every time I hear you, I confess, even though I have no right to, just feeling proud of you. So I just wanted you to know that. Um, but one of the things that you have been talking about and that we will be speaking about today is the use of facial recognition technology, uh, a bit of a concern for some of us. Can you tell us a bit about this technology and where it's being used? Sure. So facial recognition technology, or as we sometimes call it at CCLA, facial fingerprinting technology, is basically a technology that identifies people using pictures of their face. Um, We call it a biometric technology, and a biometric, of course, is just something connected to your body. Of course, our faces are part of our body. Um, And this software analyzes key features on our face and takes measurements to make sort of a mathematical map of our face. So how far is it from the tip of your nose to the top of your cheekbone, to the bottom of your chin? And then, it, you know, it takes many, many such measurements and creates what they call a template um, that can be compared against other photos of you um, and used to identify you. Um, this is something that we're all kind of familiar with if we have a, you know, we might have a phone that we can hold it up in front of us and mm-hmm. it will unlock once it recognizes our face. Um, but of course, it has many more uses that are slightly less individually beneficial. So it's used in lots of places, um, both by governments and by private sector actors. Of course, one group that's really interested in using it are police. So there are many police forces across Canada, including where I live in Toronto, that have that technology. Uh, Government departments use it. So our driver's licenses and our passport photos are all um, 
designed to be used, this facial recognition technology. Uh, that's If you've ever had to sit for one of those recently, you'll know they're very picky about getting full face photos, very stern with you about not being allowed to smile. That's to make it easier to do that, run that facial recognition software. Immigration is using it. The Canadian Border Services Agency uses it. The Liberal Party of Canada used it to identify voters in a recent Reading Association nomination, which mm -hmm. CCLA thought was a very bad idea and wrote to them about it, although they didn't write back. Um, oh. And then, of course, it's not just government agencies. It's, it's private sector bodies like stores. So Cadillac Fairview Malls were the subject of a recent investigation by the Privacy Commissioner of Canada for their use of facial analytic technology. It was determined that they were using people's faces without their consent. So it's, it's increasingly cropping up across all sectors and in places that you would expect. Very interesting. So it's not just, you know, someone takes a snapshot of you. They are actually digitizing information about your face. And I, I would gather that's more reliable than just, you know, somebody saying, yeah, I think he that looks like the guy I know. It, it actually gives measurements so that you can you can compare it carefully, uh, one photo against another or one photo against a face and, and be more sure that the person is the person that you're seeking or the person that that uh, appears before you. Um, you. You mentioned consent. Uh, you know, normally, uh, unless it's incident to arrest, we have to uh, consent to having our biometrics captured for, for some purpose or other. Is that, is that not correct? It is correct. And just before we get to consent, I want to push back a little bit on the idea of accuracy. Oh, good. Because, of course, that's <laughs> always an argument. That's always an argument when you've got a, a, a machine mm -hmm. um, to act in, instead of a human, that the machine is objective, that it might be more accurate or that it will be more accurate. One of the problems with facial recognition technologies, um, in part because it's a function of how photography works um, based on, on contrast, right, between light and dark areas in a photo to create an image, uh, there's a known problem with accuracy in many facial recognition problems, uh, so that it's better at identifying white faces than it is at identifying black faces or brown faces hmm. or indigenous faces, or and then it gets or female faces or young faces, um, and that then becomes a function of you know how the algorithms are designed and how they've been trained using existing databases of faces. Uh, so. We have to be very careful about accepting that the machine might be better at identifying people because sometimes it will be, but there are known flaws. That's well, my, that, that's that's my interesting. pushback on accuracy. <laughs> Thank you. I, 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 I think that's very important because so often we, we make an assumption that because it's data, it must be accurate. Um, and that's certainly not the case. Um, we have no explicit right to privacy in the Canadian Charter of Rights and Freedoms, and yet we have an expectation of privacy in this country. Is our privacy protected by law? Our privacy is absolutely protected by law. Um, first, although the word privacy never appears in the Charter of Rights and Freedoms, um, it's what we call a quasi-constitutional right. Um, it's been read into a constitution by the courts, as a key component of both our Section 7 rights, which are our rights to life, liberty, and security of the person, and Section 8, which is our, which are our rights against unreasonable search and seizure. Um, so there, the Supreme Court has very clearly 
recognized rights to privacy in a, in a fairly long string of cases. Um, and then we've got uh, both public and private sector privacy laws, federally, provincially, and sometimes municipally. In fact, there's, some, there's over 40 individual privacy laws in place across Canada. Um, so it's not that we don't have laws. It's that in many cases, they're older, they're out of date. Our federal law was, um, private sector law was created when if you were talking about a file, you were probably talking about a paper folder instead of a computer <laughs> file. Right. Um, but so we do have, we do have rights that are protected by law, um, although the laws could be better. And that's something I work on and advocate around a lot. For sure. Um, I'm, I'm, you know, I, I know that, um, Back in the, the the early 1200s, when I was working at Canadian Civil Liberties, the <laughs> the privacy issues ha had had a lot to do with wiretapping um, and, and uh, law enforcement's uh, getting access to uh, telephone conversations. For example, um, it was pre-computer days, that's so it was the early 1200s. Um, but now there's so much um, technology out there. How can you write laws that can actually keep up with all of the developments in technologies? Like, do, do you have to make sure that you don't actually mention them specifically in case they become outdated? Yes, Canada actually, one reason that although our laws are getting creaky and outdated that they haven't completely failed us altogether is that Canada has a tradition of creating um, techno technologically neutral, principles-based privacy laws. And that's really important because we, you know, even as technology changes, sort of the very fundamental principles that we believe are important to protect in a democracy, like our rights to bodily autonomy, our rights to dignity, our rights to sort of move about in public without being tracked by the state, by the state, not the state, are, you know, <laughs> fundamentally mm -hmm. important. Um, and you can protect those kind of rights with, with principled provisions of law. That said, um, it can be hard to imagine the kinds of principled protections you need if you can't imagine the ways in which those protections are going to be eroded. So as you know, ever increasingly new invasive kinds of technologies are created, uh, you know, we need a refresh. We need to think through what are the things that we maybe didn't think need to be said in the past because it simply wasn't possible to violate this principle that that now needs to be embedded into a law these are it's very important i think uh, i totally agree with you that that we have principles that we look at and, instead of just the 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 techniques of law i i think that that's really uh crucial um i'm very concerned about law enforcement having access to a, a biometric like facial fingerprinting, um, you know, I, or even fing regular fingerprints or, or eye scans, um, something like that without uh, warrant or without um, given explicit permission by the person who owns the biometrics. Um, how freely available are these data to law enforcement now? Well, the problem with facial fingerprints is that um, unlike a, a physical fingerprint where it's, you know, there needs to be physical contact in order mm -hmm. to collect it. Um, either the individual, occasionally they're collected because an individual has been in contact and 
police have come along behind them and scooped them up. But far more often, uh, fingerprints are collected in ways that we see and understand um, because we are either required or asked to give them, and we do. But a facial fingerprint can happen behind the scenes. Um, images of us are collected all the time by cameras um, up in the corners of stores, on street lights, and on public transit uh, that we're so used to seeing because they've been part of the infrastructure for a really long time. Um, and we're comfortable with them because we're told again and again that they're for our security. They're about yes. public safety. Um, and those cameras that have been there for the last 20 years and faded into the background now can have these new tools running behind them that absolutely up the ante on the information that can be gained from them. Uh, so in the absence of explicit laws or regulations that limit law enforcement access to this information, um, they're being seen as sort of publicly available information that are ripe for the picking. That's uh, one reason why at CCLA we say, really, we need a moratorium on law enforcement use of this technology until we think through if they should be allowed to use them and if we think there are cases where they should, when and how can they be used with the right kind of safeguards in place. I, I guess the majority of us walk around with our, our our faces out there in the open without thinking twice that, that simply walking down the street could make you vulnerable to somebody capturing data. I know that as, as a, a person who loves watching uh, murder mysteries, um, that, that, you know, they're always saying, well, let's let's get the CCTV on that. And, you know, the assumption that, that the police forces have is that, you know, all the stores and all the street corners uh, have cameras and that the cameras are constantly recording who walks in and who walks out when they're date stamped and time stamped and all the rest of it. And I think you're right. M most people, if they're told that these things are happening, say, well, it, it's in order to keep me safe. And of course, in the murder mysteries, um, you know, they, they can find the perpetrators that way. But nobody seems to ask the question of what else can happen? What else can happen when your private data, like what time you went to go buy milk, um, are made available? So when, you know, I know that very often we, you know, we say if, if you're asking, um, you know, if you're saying, you know, I have nothing to hide, why should I worry that you're asking the wrong question? The question is, why do they need to know? Um, you know, is there any way of actually blocking law enforcement from gathering data without uh, consent or a warrant? Well, there are. There are a variety of potential ways. I mean, there are technologies um, that could be applied to the images that a camera is collecting that could block access to them unless there's um, consent or a warrant filed. Uh, the difficulty with those technological fixes is that in many ways it normalizes the idea that it's okay to collect the images all the time. Yeah. Um, and, you know, in a democracy we have this fundamental belief um, in innocence until proven guilty and in yes. the, ability, the, the right of individuals to, to move through public spaces unfollowed by the state. Um, so creating a technological fix that purports to solve the problem by blocking access until police really, really want it 
um, is only part of a fix because it begs the sort of principled question, um, do we want technology that records our comings and goings as we go about our daily life in public spaces to be there at all? Is, mm -hmm. that, is that reasonable in our society? Is that creating a place that we want to live or not? Um, so then the other solution, rather than allowing all of the images, cameras to be put up and images collected and, and technologically blocking them, is to have laws that say when it's okay to collect them and when it's not, and where it's okay to collect them and where it's not. So in public spaces, um, is it an unreasonable search to yeah. constantly collect images of people as they move about? Are there constitutional limits? on the ability of police to sort of subject us all to a form of mass perpetual surveillance just in case. Um, just in case. That, you can probably guess right. the way I phrased that sentence. Yes. I think, yes, there, there should be limits and that, that it is a, a fundamental violation. <laughs> well, I, you know, I, I've always wondered if, do we not have the right to get lost? You know, can, can, can we just disappear for a few minutes? And I guess these technologies make gathering the data of where you are and who you are so easy that it, you know, it, it would be very necessary in my view to create legislation that says, yeah, you, it may be easy for you to pick that information up, but you can't have it unless you have an awfully yeah. good reason to do so. And I think that's, that's very important. Thank you so much for explaining this to us and also for talking about the principles, because I think we often lose that in the discussion of, of the technologies. And Brenda, as always, it's a great pleasure to have you on the show. Thank you so much. Always wonderful to talk to you at Kelly and Co. Well, you know we're going to ask you back. <laughs> Thank you. That was Brenda McPhail, who is the Director of the Privacy Technology and Surveillance Program for the Canadian Civil Liberties Association, talking to us about the use of facial recognition technology and some of the extremely important issues that this uh, creates. We are so lucky to have access, Danielle, that uh, you guys bring these great topics and you bring these wonderful guests and they give us their their wonderful time. So much knowledge and uh, we, we benefit so much for it. Thank you. Know Your Rights here on Mondays on Kelly & Company. We'll return to wrap up the show after this. The Walrus is Canada's conversation, and you're invited to take part. Download AMI's Voices of the Walrus, where professional narrators read selected articles from the magazine. Available wherever you download your AMI podcasts.